Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That, that bit's important. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, you know what? If you like this podcast that I appreciate you've not listened to yet because this is right at the start. But if you listen to this and find out you do like it, then afterwards, go onto the computer or phone and search for The Lush Podcast. It's the podcast where Lush, unsurprisingly, The Lush Podcast, talk about the things that we think you'd be interested in hearing. So check it out. It's called The Lush Podcast. And the easy way to remember that, how I remember it, is it's a podcast made by Lush. Cool. Have a listen. I might even host one time, you never know. Probably not, after this audition. Hi, and welcome to Tiny Revolutions at the Edinburgh Fringe, live from the Gilded Balloon. Um, uh, please put your hands together, clap, cheer, fantastic, Mr Ed Byrne. And a very good afternoon to you. Uh, hello. I'm hi. here to talk about my work and its political relevance. <laughs> So I'm doing this voice. <laughs> I like it. You should bring that on Mock the Week. Yeah. <laughs> that I should, would be great. I should have done the black polo neck thing. That's what oh, everyone you... always has to do when one speaks seriously about one's yes. art. Yes, one is talking about art, yes. You need yes, to... well, I created the character of Ed Byrne when I was in, the, I was in a bar in the 80s. Sorry. Yeah. Is that when you started stand-up? No. No. <laughs> You're making yourself sound older than you actually are. Yeah. You started in the 90s, yeah, didn't yeah. you? 1993. 3rd of November, 1993. Oh, etched first in the gig. memory, first gig. I don't remember the date of my first gig. I mean, I mean, I remember the first gig, but I don't remember the date of it. I have a photograph of it, and it's got. It was remember when photographs used to not be digital, and they would sometimes have the date burned into the corner of it. Yes, I have a photograph of it with the date burned into the corner of it. <laughs> Me in a shirt, very like this one, and a ponytail. Yes. Yeah, your look hasn't changed much throughout no, the years. I'll, I'll say that. I, I was happy in the nineties, and I'm hanging on to it in every aspect of my being. <laughs> So that was one of the first questions I wanted to ask you because mm. I've known you for a long time. As long as I've been in comedy, I've toured with you. So yeah. I, you, I, you know me since I did my show, uh, Irish Pig Fucker. Oh, um, yeah, your first. <laughs> <laughs> you cover, I think you do political comedy. You also do very personal comedy, socio-political comedy. And one of the great routines that you had in the last show that I was on tour with you in was about your son and his decision to wear some pink shoes to school. Was that a very conscious choice for you to talk about that in the show? And did you feel like it was something that needed challenging? Um, I, 
I don't. I would never consider myself a political comedian. And when I do talk about stuff, it's generally, as I say, the, the very, the very personal political. Because uh, I find a lot of the time, if you just express a, a particularly very party political opinion, all you do is you, you, you don't. I don't think you change that many people's minds. You just make people go, "Oh, he's one of them. I'm not going to listen to him anymore." Or, "Oh, he's one of them. I always thought he was a good guy." And that's that's it. They, you might just affect people's opinion of you, but I'm not sure how much you when you when you take a, a hard line on a particular. Left political right, stops, yes, stance. yeah. But I like to think that if you talk about something that's very personal and that people maybe haven't thought about and examined from another side, then that's how you can get through to people. So one of the things I do have is, and both in the show I'm doing now and, yeah, the show you saw, which would have been four years ago, w- was about the whole thing of gender programming and, and, and ex- you know, how, how much we do it to our children from a young age. Right. And so the point was that... Uh, my my son, at the age of four, picked out a pair of trainers in a shop, and was delighted with them. And it was, it was only at nursery at the time, and he was delighted with them. And he was running around them, and he was showing them off to everybody. And he was so happy with these trainers. And then he went to nursery on the Friday, and then over the weekend was still wearing them. And then on the Monday, didn't want to wear them to nursery. And we were like, "What's up?" And then he admitted that somebody at nursery had told him they were girls' trainers. And it's kind of a and I go now in fairness. They were girls' trainers. You know, had, <laughs> they were pink, and they had glitter on them, and they had sort of sequins on the toe and all that. But we were like, he's four. He's fucking four. Yeah. Like, how early does this shit start? Yes. Apparently, four. Four. <laughs> That's how early it starts. And you're trying to just keep the tide back, and it's just, you know, it was kind of heartbreaking. And, the, and I talked about, the way I talked about it in the show was that I talked about the fact that I had a photograph of him before that before that happened, where he looked so happy, and to me, like, that was the last time he was a perfect being. That was the last time, he kn- you know, that the outside got in and the outside told him he shouldn't be the way he is or anything like that. And, it was, and it, that, that, that photograph then breaks my heart. And then at the end of the show, there's a big photograph of him smiling, pointing at his trainers, and people assume that's the photograph. And I go, that's not the photograph I was talking about. That photograph was only taken a couple of months ago. He's still wearing those trainers, and the kid who told him they're for girls can go fuck himself. <laughs> yeah. Kid, so, you know. Yeah. So I, I like the fact that I got a cheer by saying that another four-year-old could go fuck himself. That's like, <laughs> Look, that's speaking truth to power. Yes. We all have one of those jokes in our show, don't we? Yeah. Being rude to kids is hilarious. Yeah. It's never being, not going to be hilarious. Being rude to, about, or especially to your own. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and I love that because it, it unpacks a lot of societal attitudes. When you say the outside getting in, that's exactly what it is. Because you can be as woke as you want to with your kids and you can instill as many ideas about, you know, uh, uh, like you can do what you want, but then they are going to go out into the world and other kids' parents aren't teaching them necessarily the same set of liberal attitudes that you might be. Absolutely, and, then, and then maybe the other parents aren't even doing anything. They might not be trying. They might not. You, that might not be the case that all the other parents are all really kind of. That's for girls. Don't want that son. Don't cry. Kick emotions inside. You know, they may not all be like that. Yeah. But they'll just pick it up from each other. Kids just. All it takes is for kids one. Kids aren't woke. Parents, no, <laughs> kids, kids are not woke. Kids are not woke at all. <laughs> and trying to teach your own. Sometimes you think if you're teaching your own kids to be woke. Am I just setting the kid up to be bullied? Like the show I have this year, I have a whole thing about my boys doing ballet. Right. You know? And that even on its own, you think you're breaking down barriers and you're being a gender warrior by sending your boys to ballet. And then it's the most gendered thing you can send a child to. Seriously. 
you know, I went to the class, the girls are in pink tutus, the boys in black leggings, and the teacher's even teaching a move where you're sort of swinging your arms back and forth, and she's going, girls, just imagine you're rocking a baby to sleep. Magnus, pretend you're a fucking pirate. And it's like, <laughs> oh, God. It's just an uphill struggle. She's a ballet teacher. She's not thinking that she's... But it's, it's very... Yes. It, yeah. Yeah, well, actually, to do uh, ballet as uh, a boy or to be a male ballerina, you have to be incredibly strong. <laughs> yeah. Because within it, you know, the lifts and, and the holds and stuff. And so, yeah. so there are sort of, yeah, like you said, they're very gendered roles within ballet. Yeah. But they, you have to be, and I'm trying to explain to, you know, because the elder one gave it up already because the boys in his class tell him it was for girls. And, and uh, you know, and the young one is only just hanging on and he's probably going to give it up. And, I'm, you know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man was a ballet dancer. Yeah. Tom Holland got his big break playing Billy Elliot in the West End before getting picked up by Hollywood. And now, he, now he's Spider-Man. Yeah. That, that, that ballet led to that. So I, I, I really love that about, uh, about your show. And I, do, I know, obviously, having done political, sort of topical comedy shows with you, um, I feel like I, I, I probably do wear my, wear my leanings a little bit, maybe. Yes, probably more so than I do, in fairness. And I, 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 I'm, you know, a, a bit, I'm probably more left-wing than I appear to be on stage which is in, like the opposite of what most people accuse left-wing comedians of being. Most people, when they see a left-wing comedian, oh, he's probably not left-wing at all. He just pretend to be, because that's the only way to get ahead in this business, which is the greatest load of horseshit ever. They yeah. are crying out for right-wingers. Yes. Just, there's just not enough of them are funny enough. Not of the, <laughs> the, yeah, the centre-right, yeah. there are plenty of people that are centre-right. who are. But the, the problem is, once you start defining yourself in a right-wing way, it is hard... To not sound like you're just being a dick on stage. And I, because there is that whole thing, the concept of punching up and punching down. Yes. And it's one thing, it, it works if you go after particular political individuals. So if you slag off Jeremy Corbyn, or you slag off Diane Abbott, or if you slag off Tony Blair, and you're going after the person and their politics, then you don't sound as cruel. But if you just go after benefit cheats or immigrants, or then you just sound like you're picking on... Homeless people. people. And yeah. you're like, wow, really? Are they the ones? Because that's all an audience feels. They go, oh, yeah, it's about time someone gave homeless people a kick in. Yeah. They're having it too easy. Yeah, <laughs> so I think it is. It's, it's hard to do. And also, uh, the, the point with comedy, I find a lot of the time, is to sort of look at how things are and then go, why are they like that? And sort of question, question, reality question why things are the way they are. And that is not a conservative thing to do, really. Yeah. You can question why maybe we're progressing at too fast a rate. I guess you could take that line if you're a conservative comic and go, how come things, things weren't like this five years ago? Like that, that's a classic. Hey, that wasn't like when we were growing up. You can, you can sort of take that tack. But I just find that the general gist and the way comedians usually find their comedy is just questioning the status quo, which is, is just by and large, uh, quite a progressive thing to do. It's, it seems weird to question the status quo and then go, hey, why are we so fair to everybody? That seems like bullshit. Shouldn't we be <laughs> yeah. a bit meaner? You know, just seems... Another way to go. So I think, that's, I think it's more just... I don't think it's a case of, oh, the establishment and our, and our Zionist paymasters who demand that we take a certain line in our comedy, otherwise we can't get on the BBC, which is a shit you get thrown at you online. Uh, it's not that. It's just fine... It's just, it, it's jarring. In the same, but in, in most art forms, 
you get a few people who are very weirdly conservative and right wing it's weird when you go and see Ted Nugent firing off guns and saying Hillary Clinton come here and sit on this bitch all that kind of he's in the minority you go and see most stadium rock bands if they're going to make a political statement it's generally something along the lines of hey let's stop the war you yeah. know you can't <laughs> imagine them having a massive concert where loads of the big name acts all get together to say hey why aren't we drilling more or you know why aren't we well, what's what, why don't we just say fuck the homeless you know just say like, let Africa go fuck itself you just couldn't imagine a massive concert with people doing that yeah it just I think the, the sorts of people who are drawn to making art are just maybe who just people who aren't of a particularly conservative bent it's not that there's a bunch of left wing gatekeepers keeping the, keeping the right, right wing out of show out. business yeah yeah That's my personal yeah opinion. well it's and yeah and it's a very good one and it's yeah it's correct it explains why i mean yeah we have like you say we have like sort of center right comedians but i can't think of any genuinely right wing Comedians, yeah. because the, I think also having a sense of humour <laughs> in itself. I do have a I do have a little joke in the show because I, I do a routine about Superman, and uh, it's just a nice it's just about how that that whole the old thing from the fifties of that faster than a speeding bullet. Did you have to say speeding? I think it's implied. <laughs> no one thinks when you say faster than a bullet, you mean a bullet that's sitting on a coffee table. You know, we yeah. understand what you mean by. You know, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Tall buildings in a single bound. It's like, if I said I had a friend who could jump over a building, would you say, does he need a run-up? You know, yeah. it's just... <laughs> so, but I do this thing, and then it's like, it seems lame doing jokes about Superman, but the simple fact is, folks, there's a very commendable movement in comedy nowadays that one should always punch up and not down. That's why, you know, black people can make jokes about white people, white people can't make jokes about black people. It's just one of those things. You just, you've got to pick on people who are sort of higher up in the hierarchy of privilege. But I am a cisgendered, able-bodied, middle-class, white, straight man. i got to go after Superman. I want to punch up. That's what my target's got to be. Yeah. And even at that, I'm sure somebody really politically correct is at the back going, I think you find Superman is an orphan and a refugee. Uh, <laughs> do you have a kryptonite intolerance? Check the privilege. Yeah. Mm. About time someone took that fucker down. Yeah. But there's a lot of this talk now of you can't, you can't say anything in comedy. I'm hearing that a lot. I'm hearing that particularly a lot from people on the right, that you're not allowed to say anything anymore. Like there's ever been a time where you could just say anything you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> you try doing a Diana joke, a Princess Diana joke, in any time in the late 90s. Dead. You would walk off the stage and stand your own yeah. feet. Yeah. People who had jokes about Diana and then she and people were yucking up people were laughing their arses off about cruel as shit about the fact that she was believing that she was a parasite on the royal family all this kind of stuff when she died you could she was a fucking saint and you could not say a word against her yeah for like two three years that was two you know you just couldn't go near it yeah and that's it and there's always been these things that people just go no not having it an, aud- an, an audience decides. Yeah. The audience are deciding. Um, so it's not that you can't say it. You can say it. You just may not get the response you, you want to get, yeah. <laughs> which and is it, laughter, which yeah. is what you're always aiming for, right? And it just feels like there's a, there's, a sort of, there's a lot of comics now who have this thing, oh, I can't say anything anymore. I just want to get on stage and do my jokes about faggots and everybody whining at me. I'm like, well, it's not very nice. And, and it's like, there, there's some people 
I think they look at somebody like Louis C.K., who, all right, in fairness, his offstage behavior lost him the right to behave on stage the way he used to. But he was someone who just earned his place to say things, and people just would let him away with stuff because he had a, he had a career behind him and he had a skill. And the same with, you know, people like Doug Stanhope or, or you know, Glenn Wool, you know, yeah, yeah. Reg Hunter, you know. People who've been around for a long time earn the ability and the right to say things that you were like, well, that's a bit much. And then I think you get these kids come along who've been doing it maybe five years, want to jump straight to that. Well, they don't have the skill. They don't know, yeah. where, they don't know where they're aiming the joke. Yeah. And I think the aim of the joke is always really important. I, I, I had a festival with a friend of mine. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. My friend Winnie had this, you know, uh, and, and I can say she's a rape survivor. That's not betraying her confidence. She's written books on it and stuff. So she decided she was going to hold a festival called um, Clear Lines, oh, like yeah. a response to the Blurred Lines song. And it was all about consent, and we had a comedy gig. And we, I went on the radio, and I'm telling you, it was relentlessly male radio hosts on regional radio stations going, well, you can't have a night of comedy about rape. You can't joke about rape. It's not funny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I reserve the right to make, to make jokes about rapists. And I will. If I want to talk about Bill Cosby, I'm yeah. going to make jokes about him. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it's, it's, about, it's always about where you point your ire or what oh, yeah. the target of the joke is. And it's those new people that don't have the skill. So they think they're being suppressed. And actually what you did was you made a joke and the victim was the target of the joke. How is that fucking funny? Yeah. But you're just you you you're, you're coming at this. We don't know anything about you except that you think that joke is funny, and 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 we don't think that joke is funny. So yeah. let's just say we don't agree. The idea of saying why are you why are you suppressing my voice and saying I can't say these things? Like you, you've always it's always been the case when I from the time I started out that there are certain things people did not like to hear people joke about. I mean, when I started out, people didn't really make pedophile jokes. That came. Yeah, you know, you know, people did. Uh, uh, people got less and less, or less, uh, harder to shock, shall we say? People would be able to go down that route, or even jokes about atheism. You know, like a lot of people would not like that at all. And even in a lot of areas in America, you could do jokes about not believing in God, and and you'd start a fucking riot. You know, there's always been things you can and can't say, and and now there's just certain hot button topics, and that's. But the, the idea that like there's now a comedy club. Where you're not allowed to complain because we can say whatever we like. Oh, yes, I've seen this. You know, you could just write jokes where you're saying shocking things, but you make it so good that you get away with it. 
That's one, that's one way you could do it. Or you could set up your own comedy club where you don't even have to write a good joke because no one's allowed to get offended no matter how shit the joke is. To me, that, <laughs> to me there's nothing more snowflakey millennial entitled than saying no one is allowed to complain about anything I say for the next 20 minutes. To me, that's yeah. setting up that. Yeah. Is, is the ultimate It's the free speech comedy night, isn't it? I just, I just think they have the very, the very concept of us. Of, uh, <laughs> hey, we have a comedy club where you're not allowed to complain that we've said something that you didn't like. So what, you're not allowed to heckle? Really? Are you fucking kidding me? You yeah. spoiled fucking brats. Entitlement. I was forged in the crucible of the London circuit in the <laughs> 90s where you had to get out there and you had to grab the audience by the fucking throat and you could know that any time you could say something that some drunk in the audience might just take exception to. And a lot of the time you could make a joke that's not even offensive, but somebody can just take it the wrong way and think you're saying something offensive. I had a routine about the CN Tower. Yeah, I don't care whose toes I step on. <laughs> I had a joke about the CN Tower, and it was about the ridiculous rivalry between Canadians and Americans and the fact that it doesn't exist in America. Americans don't give a shit about the Canadians, but the Canadians think there's a rivalry. And that's why they <laughs> built the CN Tower just that bit taller than the CN Tower in America, because that was the, that's the tallest building yeah. in America. And so, so, so it wasn't, it's not the tallest building in the world, but they don't care as long as it's taller than anything that's in America. By the way, I can do the exact same routine verbatim in New Zealand and Australia and just change it for the Sky Tower and it worked beautifully. <laughs> but the point was there was a line in that that just said it's not the tallest building in the world but it's taller than they've got in the States and that's all that counts. Now that's kind of the lead into the joke. After 9-11 I say that line everybody thinks I'm making a 9-11 joke. They think I'm talking about the World Trade Center despite the fact that it was never as tall as the CN Tower right. and has absolutely nothing to do with it. But the audience would get offended. They think I'm making a 9-11 joke, even when I'm not. Now, I can't just turn around and go, oh, you fucking morons. You're getting offended. You have to accept that people might take offense even if they have misunderstood you. Even if they're wrong, you still have to accept that if an entire audience thinks that this is what you mean, you just might have to go, you know, fuck, I'm just going to have to drop that I'm going to have to drop the line or rewrite the joke to make yeah. it clear that that's not what I'm doing. Because that <laughs> is part of the skill of being a comedian. Yes. And if you can't do that... If you're not willing to update your work, then why are you even yeah. bothering? If you don't want to write new stuff. Mm. I played a club once in London that's sort of shut down now, but it, used to, it was called Lolitics, and it used to have a broad kind of rule that we would do... You know, you're not going to do um, misogynist stuff. Like, there were kind of a list of rules. It yeah. wasn't a sign-up thing. And the guy who ran it sort of never enforced it with me because he knew where I would draw the line. But that was one show where I did stuff about depression and suicide. My own. And Your own some, suicide? My, okay, uh, <laughs> my own attempted. Yes. Uh, uh, and, um, and, and someone came up and complained after the show and said that they found it upsetting. that I'd mentioned it on stage. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sort of... Oh, that I'd made jokes about it, that I'd made light of it. And I said, well, I reserve the right to, to make jokes about my own experience. Um, and then she complained to the guy who was running the night. And then, interestingly, two months later, sent an email to my agent saying, I'm so sorry that I came and said that to her. She completely has the right to talk about what she wants. And actually, I've thought about it, and I thought that what she did was excellent. It's very, very rare that someone's going to go away and do that. But yeah. on the night, she'd been upset... And then sometimes when I've done jokes around depression and that kind of thing on my Twitter, I'll often get people coming on being offended on behalf of someone else. Oh, yeah. That's, Not, that is the most common type of offense to take. Yes. On behalf of somebody else, yeah. Yeah, and um, that's where it becomes interesting because you go, I can't predict that or I can't write without, you know, some of the time offending someone. 
Totally. Um, and so, you know, uh, it, it, and then I, I did an interview recently about this, I think with Miranda Sawyer. I don't know if you did the same interview, um, but it was talking about sort of uh, offence in comedy, but she mm-hmm. wasn't saying you can't say anything anymore. I was sort of saying I reserve the right to make jokes about things that my own personal experience and comedy is about ownership. And she was like, but surely anyone should be able to make jokes about anything. And it's frustrating that you have to sort of back yourself in that way. And I was like, well, just on those, I back myself because I know I'm not doing it in a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, A flippant way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They come out of my truth and my experience. Well, I think the idea of saying you can't joke about a particular subject uh, is just, it's for the birds. It's nonsense. Again, it depends on who the target is. Just because something is a subject of a joke doesn't mean it's the target of the joke. I mean, that's the thing that's often said. And just because you're doing comedy around a subject does not mean you're making light of that subject. And, you know, yeah. and you've seen a lot of comedians do Because it's very easy to say such, such, such is not funny. But what, I mean, nothing's funny. Yeah. Nothing. Very few things are funny. If things yeah. were funny on their own, we'd be homeless. Yes. Because I don't know about you, but I have no fucking transferable no skills. other skills. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is it. Yeah. People go, you know, you, you, you do jokes about, I don't know, a famine. You do, well, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think jokes about uh, uh, something where somebody died is funny. Well, people dying isn't funny, but that's, that's where we come in. Life you is know, funny. You can take that's part of life. You go, well, you know, that subject isn't funny. You, the, the whole point is that you breathe life into it. Whether it's a question of offending people or, you know, people who also have the thing of, oh, you, you can't do jokes about getting on a plane because that's hack. But you could still find something new in that subject and prove people wrong. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, how much skill you have. You know? It is the skill. The but skill I think the idea of just saying you, you, you cannot joke about that subject, I think, is, is unfair. Yeah. And have you, ever, have you ever had a joke or a routine where you have... Um, had someone contact you afterwards and say, thanks for talking about this, I feel heard, or you've personally touched me with this, you know, um, thank you for, for um, you know... A couple of, the thing I've got at the moment, actually, is I talk uh, about intrusive thoughts, with that thing of you, you get where you just get, have the urge to do the worst thing you could possibly do, which is most, most common exhibit itself, say, when you're looking over the edge of a cliff and you get that vertiginous kind of, ooh, I, I, I could throw myself off here. Like, you get that worry that you're going to do something, the, the worst thing you could possibly do. Yeah. And, you know, that, and I talk about that, and I talk about being nine and being an altar boy and just thinking about rugby tackling the priest. While he, <laughs> you know, being, being on the altar and just being behind the priest and just going, you could just take the legs out from underneath him right now. So I talk about it in a very jovial way. I talk about the fact that when I'm on live TV, I always have this desire to just say the worst thing. I'll just if you ever see me on Sunday brunch or the one show, I'm just sitting there going, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Like, that, <laughs> like the fact that I have this all the time. And I've had a few people just since the, the run started just saying, you know, thank you for just bringing that up because when it, particularly when it comes to I don't consider myself to be someone who suffers from great ill mental health but when you bring up a specific thing like that that people think God am I the only one who gets that you know you, and you realise that it's a, it's a common thing and the fact that people are laughing about it, it that it's a more common thing than you think so I've had yeah the relief, the relief of, of, of going, it's not just me. Yeah. It's one of the big things in comedy. Even with, with this, even with small jokes about things that aren't hugely important, just the, oh, right. It's a kind of not moral relativity, but I guess it is on stage. You're kind of going, you know, when we all do this thing, or, mm. and then sometimes it's when I do this thing, and then someone else in the audience is like, oh, God. You know, um, I've talked about, you know, the fact that I skin pick or whatever, you know, and I've had people, and I've talked about that in my shows, and I've had people kind of, 
uh, get in contact with me and go, oh, that's that has a name. I do that thing. So just like the intrusive yeah. thoughts going, I didn't know this was a... I, don't, I feel like less of a weirdo. Mm-hmm. And comedy used to be, the, I guess, the reserve of weirdos as well, mm-hmm. um, which I feel like that's kind of like sort of changed over time a little bit as well. But outsiders and people who, yeah. you know... I love that sometimes, though, when you see somebody get on stage and you're just like, oh, man... If this was the 50s, you'd just be writing jokes for the handsome people to tell. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, we, we, comedy is all comers now. You get some proper mole rats coming out onto the stage, <laughs> blinking into the light, and, and killing. And just coming with, with their unique voice, you know, and their outsider perspective, and it's great. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. So that's good to know that, um, that people do, you know, everyone that I've invited onto this podcast, I sort of... Um, um, no has helped kind of push a social change or an issue. I know that seeing that from your show. Um, do you think you have a responsibility uh, to talk about important things in comedy or are you like, I'm funny first, that's the main concern and anything else is a bonus? Um, yeah, the latter. Um, yeah. I find if you say something that... In, in, the, in the current show... The, the, there's always I always like to have one thing where I'm trying to get something off my chest and the current show I have the whole thing about those sort of online men's rights activists who complain about women in action movies and yes. the fact that we've let the other half of the population kick some cinematic ass lately and the fact that these, these there's a certain breed of man just going crazy about it oh yeah like everything that they ever enjoyed has been undone by the existence of something new yeah but it's like have y'all seen Alien? Like, that came out in the 70s. And the hero was a woman, and she was awesome. And I'm sure now we look at it and go, kind of a lingering crotch shot as she gets into that spacesuit at the end. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's like... Or even Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. Like, I've always enjoyed seeing women kick ass. Yeah. It's just... It's refreshing. But, yeah, it, it, uh, so the, I have a whole thing. It's particularly about the fact that what really kicked it off with Mad Max Fury Road was the one where it just, for some reason, just crystallised around that and everything since then. That and Ghostbusters, I think. was. Well, the, I think that came after, though, didn't it? I remember reading an online forum with a guy, this was on IMDb, genuinely going, how are they going to wear the rucksacks? How are they going to wear the backpacks? And I laughed for, like, yeah. half an hour reading that. Yeah. I was like, what, how are women going to do <laughs> Yeah. Well, don't, not, not where are they going to get these ghosts from? Bearing in mind, ghosts aren't real. We don't have to worry that they're going to... Yeah. Because that's the exact same thing with the Mad Max Fury Road thing. It's like, there's a scene where she beats up Mad Max. and like, that's ridiculous. You know she has a fucking robot arm, yeah? We're cool with that. And there's that whole film is ridiculous. That yeah. entire... It's a lot of fun, but the whole film from start to finish is utterly ludicrous and the idea that your takeaway would be a woman can't beat up a man is in itself <laughs> yeah. you, you, the are, unrealistic you part. are clearly the problem here and that's just one that I personally it's a bugbear of mine and I really wanted to talk about it that and talking about the, the, the ballet thing you know with my kids there's always just something in there that I just really want to get off my chest but the rest of it the majority of it is yes it is just and I just find that when you make people laugh and at the same time you know, get something off your chest to make people think, then it's just a little bit more satisfying. It is the difference between eating a sandwich and eating a chocolate bar, you yeah. know, is the way I, I put it. But yeah. the mo- most of my show is sweet, sweet chocolate. <laughs> 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 and I, because I also, like, I even feel bad that the, the thing about the kids in the ballet, I'm not going to give it away on it, but I, I kind of pull the rug on myself at the end and come across, having done this, trying to come across as a social justice warrior, 
I then, I then sort of pull, pull the rug and reverse the whole thing. And in a way that's almost, you can feel some women in the audience just going, oh, yeah, you ruined it. But it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. It's the only way to finish it up in a funny way. I'm not someone who can just make a statement, no matter how earnestly I feel it, and let it hang there without me then doing something it. that I have to. <laughs> if, it, if the only way to make it then funny is for me to undermine it and make myself look like a dick, then I will have to go down that road. I think that's where the best comedy lies. <clears throat> um, thank you very much for coming on, Ed Byrne. Not at all. There's something you need to hear. Our wildlife is under attack like never before. In a new 12-part series, Charlie Moores and Ruth Pesey explore the concept of a war on wildlife. With special guests and short interviews with activists, researchers and campaigners, this one is not to be missed. Find it where you find podcasts, as well as on the free Lush Player app, and you can even follow at War on Wildlife on Twitter. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.